Well, looking at the life of Joseph, uh, in the past month together, uh, we've traveled a little north of 13 years. Uh, only a few chapters, but it's been about 13 years in his life. And how many of you know that when you're looking at somebody else's life, the time is really short, and in our lives, it feels really long? And so we've traveled about 13 years looking at the life of Joseph, how God developed his character, which ultimately he stewards then his influence. Uh, so God develops his character. Joseph is put through these checks. Everyone say checks. He's put through these checks, these integrity checks that God didn't stop in the Old Testament. You and I go through them today. And if you don't pass one, God will give you the test again and again and again and again. And if you don't pass it, he'll give it to you again and again and again. All right, because he loves you, not because he doesn't. And so Joseph is going through these various tests of integrity, that mo integrity checks, moments that God uses to evaluate the consistency between our inner convictions or Joseph's inner convictions and then his outward actions. Many of us believe certain things on the inside, but our behavior sometimes doesn't line up with what we believe. In moments we fall short, in moments we compromise, in moments the worst of us comes out, not the best of us comes out. That's not, a, that's not just a, a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing, that's a human thing. And so in that space together, God is working in the midst of it. And so Joseph has passed tests of temptation or checks of temptation. He's had to persevere through in, in incredible injustice, um, loyalty, which deals with authority. He's had to deal with issues like this. All of these are examples of godly in integrity checks that once again, God has allowed to come into the life of Joseph or he's experienced. And today we're going to arrive at a full circle moment. The story of Joseph starts with him and a dream and his brothers. And we're going to see them all back reunited today as we truncate the end of his story or his time with us looking at people and how God builds people and builds character. A check we're going to look at today is, is the family willing to be honest? Everybody say honest. A lot of people, a lot of us today are willing to be very opinionated, but necess not necessarily honest or fully disclosing everything that's there. And the story starts with him and his brothers, and today they're going to be back again. And so Joseph is no longer in a pit. He's no longer in prison. Now he's in a palace. He's in the house of Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph knows how to interpret dreams. Again, 13 years later, he has the right dream, but he has the wrong vision. And now he knows how to trust and wait on the Lord. And so Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph correctly interprets it. And because he uses his spiritual gifts in moments like this, he's elevated to this place in the palace. So since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you are. So if you ever want to compliment someone, just use those words. There's nobody as discerning and as wise as you are. Why, thank you. He says, you will be over my house and all of my people will obey your commands. Only I, as king, will be greater than you. And this is a beautiful Hebrew language you need to understand here because Pharaoh says, only I, as king, is greater than you. And Joseph would have heard, oh, no, 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 no. There is one who is greater in you than his name is Yahweh. But Pharaoh doesn't know. Pharaoh doesn't get that. And so Joseph is serving in a secular place, understanding the limited understanding of authority that he has a different perspective. God will put you under leaders who may not understand ultimate authority, but it doesn't give us the ability to transgress their earthly authority. Joseph is passing these tests. 
Joseph's position under Pharaoh is different, but if you've journeyed through his story, he's been here before. He knows what it is to rise in his family. He knows what it is to rise in Potiphar's house. And now he knows what it's actually to rise in Pharaoh's house. So again, the responsibility that he's going to be tasked with is brand new, but it's recognizable. He's, he's been here before. Here's what is true of many of us, and let's be honest with it. When it comes sometimes to our sin and our iniquity and maybe our dysfunction, we find ourselves in cyclical problems. Like you're a problem in a different relationship, but it's not a new problem. You've been here in a different, another relationship before, or you've experienced this in another way. Well, in the way that the enemy desires that, so too does God desire that. Sometimes God puts us in positions where we experience certain things so that when we are brought into this place of influence that God has for us, it is not overwhelming again, we've been here before. Though the circumstances may be a little bit different, we've experienced this before. And this is the life of Joseph. Joseph understands that gifting grows from the soil in which it is planted in, not the pot it finds itself in. He has seen it. He's been planted in his family and he rises. He's been planted in Potiphar's house and he rises. And now he's in Pharaoh's house and he does the same thing. He rises. Your gift will make room for you. But success in God's kingdom is not defined by your status or mind. It is how we serve others with the influence that God has given us. Joseph's character has been formed in personal, in family, in professional crisis. So again, the scale of the problem that he is about to face is epic. But he's ready for this moment. You know, a great contrasting study to the life of Joseph if you ever want to do one in time, is Joseph is a study in character. There's another biblical character that you can engage and look at their life, which is the complete opposite, and his name is Samson. And Samson's story is a story about a life rooted exclusively and only in gifting. And you will see the trajectory difference on their lives. Really important stories for you and I to look at. Because our gifting may open the door, but it's your character that will enable you to stay in that room where God has opened. It's an important thing for all of us to look at. When you look at how God has grown Joseph to be in this position of influence, let's be honest, I want a leader leading anything who has been groomed through hard things, not a life of comfort and ease. Because it forms and develops our character quite differently. Here's what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 42, verses 1 to 4. The epic, far-reaching problem is there's a famine in the land, but Joseph has seen in a dream that it's coming and he's begun to prepare for it. So there is grain, there is provision in Egypt. When Jacob learned just as Joseph's father, that there was grain in Egypt. He said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? That is a perfect parental line right there. <laughs> Lesson, he went on. I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. And so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob, everyone say, but Jacob. You see, you have to remember, Jacob believes that Joseph is dead. And I want you to see the pain that is resident in his story all these years later. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. Here's what's true of all of us. Pain changes us. Pain changes us. 
rather than just being released and you see this protective nature of Joseph. I've already lost a son. I can't lose another. And so he holds one back. Again, years later, Jacob still bears the pain of a mistaken belief that he's lost a son. And his sons who are in his presence still bear the shame of living a lie which is still deeply affecting this family. The brothers who have had day after day, week after week, month after month, and now year after year, the opportunity to tell their father the truth. They never bring the truth to light, but it's about to come to light. Exactly. (laughs) Genesis 42, verses 6 to 7 says, Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. Oh, what was his dream week one? I had this dream that you somehow were going to bow down to me. And then he says it again. I had this dream that you were going to bow down to me. And Joseph thinks in the beginning of the story, it's incredible. You are going to serve me. But that's the dream, but not the vision. No, God's vision is for Joseph to serve them. And now Joseph has this moment where the dream was right in the beginning. His vision was wrong. Now we see it full circle. And his brothers came and they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And if I were Joseph, I would say, aha! Yeah, who was right, baby? This guy was right. And I, you know, all all my powers, smite them. That's not what happens. Aren't you grateful I'm not Joseph at all? God's still working on me. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. Those are really important words. He recognizes them, but he treats them like strangers and speaks harshly to them. The question is why? And here's the first full circle moment that I want to bring us to today. Destiny is how God sees, not how others see you. Destiny is not how others see you. It's not even how you see you. It is ultimately how God sees you. See, because one of the things that we see all through the story of Joseph, there is this narrative, this grand narrative, and then there are these little subplots that are really, really significant that the Hebrews writers wanted us to pull out. Because Joseph's story is one about dreams and vision. In other words, Joseph's story is about what we see. But it's not only about what we see, because right now you and I look at the world in which we live, we look at our people that we love, we look at our business, whatever it happens to be, you put it into your own words, your own ways. There's what we see, but there's also the second thing. It's not only what we see, but it's do we correctly interpret what it is that we see. That's the other subpart to the story. It's not just what do I see, but am I correctly interpreting what it is that I'm seeing? And in order to correctly interpret what it is that we're seeing, first and foremost, we need to know who God is and that God is with us and see it from God's perspective. And then secondly, from that place, we need to have our character grown because in immaturity, it doesn't matter what we see. Immaturity is defined not by what you see, but by the interpretation of what it is that you're looking at. Immaturity always looks at something in a selfish manner, as I joked about a moment ago. Immaturity only, and I don't mean immaturity like, oh, you're being a baby. I mean immaturity in terms of not being fully mature, not grown up, not fully who God designed and destined you to be. So we see here in the story, 
They've woven, the Hebrew writers have beautifully woven all these pieces of vision all throughout the story that in the very beginning, Joseph is blinded and he can't see his brothers clearly. He's blinded by pride. He can't see. All all he sees is they're going to bow down to me. He doesn't see the situation yet properly. Again, as I said it again and again, right dream, wrong vision. But his brothers equally are blinded by envy and jealousy, which causes them to not be able to see their brother who he was. It's amazing when you actually think about there's going to come a moment 13 years into the future where they are going to be on the precipice of a major crisis. If they don't get grain, as their father Jacob has said, they die. And the very one, the very one who is going to be the door, the avenue of provision in their life was right in their midst, their brother, and they couldn't see him. It's incredible. The Ishmaelites only see Joseph as a commodity. Potiphar's wife views Joseph as an object for her pleasure. Yet the Hebrew writers of the scriptures want you and I to see That there has been one through the story of Joseph who has been faithful. There has been one in the story of Joseph who has been consistent. There is one in the story of Joseph who's never left him or forsaken him. And that is at all times God faithfully is with Joseph because God sees Joseph for who he is and who he can become if he says yes to pass the tests of integrity and grows in character, in godly character. Aren't you glad? that God is Alpha and Omega, that he does not see you through a glass dimly. Aren't you glad that God doesn't buy your story of why you do this and why you do that, that he's loving, that he's patient, and that he's kind, and he keeps leading us into truth so that we can be set free. And this is what we see here in the story. And so here is Joseph And here are his brothers. The last time they saw each other, not a good moment. Well, not a good moment. Not a good moment for any of them. Now, the scripture says so beautifully, what happens? Joseph recognizes them, but they still can't recognize Joseph. Beautiful language of the scripture here. At this moment of their reunion, of Joseph's initial dream being fulfilled, his brothers still can't recognize him, which leads us to full circle moment number two, is we can live a lie so long that we come to believe it is truth. You can believe something about yourself that is dead wrong, but you can believe it so deeply that you believe that it is absolutely true. Some of you are still living somebody else's opinion of you from 10 years ago. It is your ultimate reality when your ultimate reality should not be their opinion, but how your heavenly father sees you. And it is this work to peel this off of our hearts and to off of our lives and to pull these strongholds, which we can't do by ourselves, that we need the fullness of the Spirit to do. We need the loving arms of community to wrap around us and to remind us who God says we are and how God sees us. Watch it here in Genesis chapter 42, verse 13. Here's the brothers. We, your servants, we're, we're 12 brothers. 
the sons of one man living in the land of Cana. They are telling this to Joseph as if he doesn't know. The youngest is now with our father. And here's the lie. Here, ready? Here's the brothers saying this to Joseph. And, and one is no longer living. Once again, if I were Joseph, I would go, au contraire. <laughs> but he doesn't. The folly of our deception is not just what we see in the story. No, the folly of your deception in mind is even when facing the truth, sometimes we still choose to cling to lies. Rewind the clock. About 13 years. Joseph doesn't know this part of the story. Joseph's maybe believed for 13 years that his entire family doesn't care, that they hate him. But if you know the story from 13 years ago, one of his brothers, Reuben, speaks up and essentially says, like, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit. Grace doesn't always feel like grace. And it's incredible now because Joseph's brothers are speaking Hebrew. And all they think is, well, this is an Egyptian. He doesn't know Hebrew, but it's Joseph. And so there's an interpreter between them Joseph don't need no interpreter. And so the brothers just begin to talk. But Reuben replies, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account. Everyone say account. Ooh, that's an important word. Now we must account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph understood them. Since there was an interpreter between them, and all it says is that Joseph turns away from them and he begins to weep. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons that we can speculate there, but perhaps one of the reasons that Joseph begins to weep once again is this mistaken belief that everybody in his family has always hated him and always wanted him dead. And he hears one of his brothers speak truth. There's many reasons why, but we see here something profound and powerful. It's when we are profoundly wounded, it takes time and there are layers of healing that God brings us through. We as Christians, you know what we love? We love a quick testimony. This is what happened and then this is where God brought me. Here's all I know. This is what happened, and this was God brought me. Amen. And there are other layers of healing that God will bring you through. I'm healed. I'm better. And then all of a sudden you experience something, and you're like, ah, crap, there it is again. Another opportunity for God to bring healing. Can we as the body of Christ trust and believe in the God who can do all things in an instant? And can we also believe in the God who lovingly sometimes leads us through a long-suffering process of healing? Why? So that when free, we can turn around and help others walk a process of faith along the way that you and I know not by theory, but by intimacy. Reuben says we must give an account. And I think another interpretation here that we can look at is Reuben actually says, 
in the presence of Joseph, it's time to be honest with what really happened. Not our pretend story, not our lie, not the cover-up, none of those things. We have to come clean with what really happened. And maybe that touches Joseph's heart in a profound way. That finally, after all these years, honesty is going to kiss my family. Accounting is keeping honest records, or I should say good accounting, you know, is keeping honest records. Have you ever seen a movie where someone has like the, 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 the real books and then the other books? That ain't honesty. Honesty is this is what came in. This is exactly what we did with it. It is an accounting of what is real, not the narrative we wish to be true. This is what we're seeing here into the story. Now, this next part of the story may seem odd, but I promise you it's of importance. After listening to the report of their family, Joseph accuses them of being spies. He gives them grain, but he doesn't take their silver. In other words, he gives them all that they need, but he doesn't take payment from it, and he demands that they leave a brother as a hostage to return with their youngest brother, Benjamin. Joseph wants Family reunification. That was a really hard word for me to say this Sunday morning, but I hope you tracked with what I was trying to say there in that moment. This is what Joseph wants. At first glance, you could think Joseph is exacting his revenge, using his power to make them pay for what they did to him, but you would be absolutely wrong. That is not an accurate interpretation of what is occurring because sometimes for there to be full healing, there needs to be a complete revealing, and that is painful but necessary. Joseph is attempting to discern how changed are my brothers? Are they going to go back with the grain and then just never come back? Are they going to leave this other brother the way they left me? He's trying to discern, are they ready for full honesty or are they still living into partiality? What's going on here? Are they going to just take the grain and their silver and never return? Or are they going to come back for their brother and with their brother. You see, this is critical for you and I to understand. Joseph is essentially saying, if given the opportunity to be truthful, to be honest, will they be truthful? Will they be honest? Here's what he's trying to discern. And this is what we must always embrace. Whenever you and I speak of biblical forgiveness... Biblical forgiveness is always and only a step you take. It is not dependent on the receptivity of the other person whatsoever. Forgiveness is not. It is simply a step that you take to release and entrust. God, I no longer have to hold this over them. I am entrusting you to be good, to be faithful, to be just. And so I release forgiveness. As one who has been forgiven, I release forgiveness. Now in that moment, it can be received beautifully or spat in your face, but you walk out free because you took the step that God required you to take. Forgiveness is always and only a step you must take. However, when we speak of reconciliation or restitution, this is different. Each one has to be responsible to take their own step. There can, no be, there can be no reconciliation. It doesn't matter how much Joseph wants it if it's not reciprocated from his brothers. There can be full forgiveness where Joseph is absolutely free, like nothing on him. 
Like when you walk through a spider web that you can't see and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. That's what this, the, the thing of unforgiveness gets on us like that. We can be absolutely free by taking a step of forgiveness, but reconciliation requires too. And this is why there can be pain and patience in relationships. Because as a family to experience healing, for this family to experience healing, each must now take a step, Joseph and his brothers. And then within it, there's going to be the truth coming to light, which you can imagine for Jacob. He's going to be none too pleased for the last 13 years, grieving and believing that his son was dead by trusting the story of his other sons. This is, aren't you glad the Bible didn't just get rid of all the ugly stories and kept the nice ones in there? I am, gives me great hope. God working in the mess that is humanity. So when you look at a world that is a mess, the scripture should give us hope that God has always been working in the mess of humanity. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, if you pick up your Bible, that's when the world is perfect. The rest of it, God working in the mess of humanity. Have hope for your family. Have hope for your relationships. Genesis 43, verses 20 to 22. They said, my Lord, we really did come down here the first time only to buy food. His brothers are now back with the whole family. When we came to the place where we lodged for the night, we opened our bags of grain and each one of us, our silver was at the top of the bag. Ah, his brothers are being honest. It was the full amount of silver, and we have brought it back with us. Joseph now begins to see they are changed. They're not the same. We have brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our bags. So again, Joseph in this moment sees that his brothers have been transformed, that they perhaps are willing to take a step of reconciliation, which brings us to full circle moment number three and our final one today. And we've said it since the beginning. What God allows is never never to be confused with what he approves of. God has allowed this entire family to go through all these different tests. God has allowed Joseph to go through various tests. But remember, what his ultimate heart was, was when the beginning, when he first gave the dream. It's like in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you want to see God's ultimate heart? This is his heart for humanity. Pull all the way to Revelations. His, God, his heart for us is every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, not at war with one another, not injustice against one another, not abusing one another, not mistreating one another. No, 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 no. His heart is that all of us would be one as he and the Father are one. This is God's heart, but yet God works in the mess of humanity because you and I understand that there is God and his kingdom, but there are other fiefdoms on this world that we live. There are other demonic forces that desire things that are different. And now I want you to hear Joseph not as a 17-year-old, but as a 30-something-year-old man who's seen a thing or two, who's passed tests of integrity. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near. And the Hebrew writers place three words here 
that you as followers of Christ, you better pick up on. Because when one wants to disclose who they are, they do so with these two words, I am. In this instance, he says, I am Joseph, your brother. Watch. Watch what he says. He doesn't say, I am Joseph, your brother, and everything is okay. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God, everyone say, but God. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvest. God sent me ahead of you to establish you. Not, you bow down to me, no longer. Ah, Joseph has the right dream and the right vision as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then verses 14 to 15, it says that Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder and Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. And what a conversation that must have been. <laughs> like if there's any conversation you want to sort of like eavesdrop, like at a coffee shop, put your earbuds in, but they're not really playing any music, you're like, what is going on over there? <laughs> Come on, don't lie to me, you've all done it. I'm just over here working, no you're not. No, you're not. You're listening to nothing but the conversation going on over there. The story of redemption includes forgiveness, reconciliation, but also restitution. Here's what we see through this story. Redemption. Everyone say redemption. Redemption heals the pain, but it doesn't remove the memories. You know, when you and I are cut, there's a wound. And if we're cut deeply, it becomes a scar, a forever reminder of what happened. But later, once healed, the, the scar may ruin the perfection of that area of your skin, but it doesn't cause you the same level of pain. And so it is true in all of our lives that some of us right now are carrying open wounds and other wounds are slowly scabbing over and will become scars. So again, redemption is not ever, I don't remember it. It is what God intended is greater than what occurred to me. God has brought healing in it. Redemption reframes experiences, but it doesn't excuse injustice. Redemption requires everyone to take their own steps towards honesty and truthfulness. 
And so Joseph grows from dream to destiny. As he grows through a pit, prison, palace, and now he is what God intended. He is a small p provider. Final scripture, Genesis 47, verse 12. Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's family with food for their dependents. God's future provision for the family of Jacob was always Joseph. You see, sin always seeks to rob tomorrow's provision from you today. And redemption always seeks to restore all things that iniquity has sought to steal. And so the Bible invites you to look at all of these characters over the last month in the story of Joseph and to reflect on your own story right now and the choices that you are making today because whom you are becoming is directly connected to the choices that you are making. Can you identify with Joseph? Are you blaming God for the injustice that you have experienced in life? Perhaps you identify with his brothers that you're living a lie for so long that you still believe it to be true. Or maybe you're being shaped by circumstances. Has this past two years, has this season of crisis, has it brought out the best in you? Or has it, ha has it brought out a little bit of the worst as well? In particular, how we see God and how we see others how we see our brothers and sisters. You see, our story of redemption, beloved, is not found, though, in the story of Joseph. No, we have one that is better than Joseph, and his name is Jesus. Our story of redemption is the singular story of Jesus. And next week, here's what we're going to begin to engage. Here's what is true. Every one of us treat Jesus the way Joseph treats his brother, or his brothers treat Joseph. Every one of us, every one of us, when we sin, when there's iniquity, and when we transgress, we fall short, which leaves us two choices. We try to fix ourselves, or we understand that between us and God, there is only one mediator, and his name is Christ. And so today, let's receive redemption, not because of our gifts or our dreams or our abilities, but because of a bloodstained cross, an empty tomb, and a forever poured out Holy Spirit. I invite you to locate your communion element. Whether you're here, whether you're at home, you can join us. On the night that Jesus betrayed, was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke bread. And here's what he said. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And as often as you do, remember me. Not your story, my story. What I've done for you. So let's partake of the bread together. And then after supper, he 
rose a cup, lifted a cup, and said it was representative of his blood that's going to be shed for the remission, the forgiveness, the removal of our sin. Do you remember a few moments ago how I just simply said that forgiveness always takes one? Aren't you glad that Jesus went first? That he loved us by laying down his life so that you and I can receive a gift of forgiveness. And so let's receive together this juice represented of his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Over the last month, we've journeyed through the life of Joseph. Father, all the insight that you've given us, we are grateful for it. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts today about who you are, how you see us, and then ultimately the next step in obedience and following you that you're asking us to take. In your precious name. Amen.